0: Hey everyone, my name is Savannah, and I'll be your host for this episode about an organization that's near and dear to my heart Iris. The first time I heard about IRIS was when I was a first year in college and signed up for their Run for Refugees 5K. Ever since that day, I joke that I can't go for a walk or a run without seeing an IRIS Run for Refugees shirt. And if you look around New Haven, you'll start to notice them everywhere. That presence is a testament to the mark that IRIS has left on this community. But what is IRIS? IRIS stands for Integrated Refugee and Immigrant Services. The main purpose of IRIS is to help refugees and immigrants in our community access housing, employment, education, and health and legal resources. They make sure people have all the supplies they need when arriving in New Haven and provide career counseling, tutoring for children, English classes for adults, and even assistance in navigating the complicated American healthcare system. IRIS's work is a win-win as they empower refugees and immigrants to become self-sufficient and integrated into their new communities while at the same time, these newcomers enrich our neighborhoods, making this a better place for all of us. To learn about IRIS's journey, I spoke to Chris George, the Executive Director of IRIS. Today we'll hear about how IRIS has transformed itself from a small, religious-affiliated resettlement agency to a household name and leader in providing outstanding resources to immigrants and refugees of all backgrounds. But before we get too deep into it, I'll let Chris explain exactly what it means to be a refugee.
1: Refugees are identified, selected, and interviewed and vetted overseas by the Department of State, US government, Department of State, and Homeland Security. Once they go through that very rigorous vetting process, they are then placed with a nonprofit group in the United States that will welcome them and resettle them. So for us, it begins with an email that comes and it says, family of five from Syria is arriving in two weeks. Or it might say, a family of seven from the Congo, or a family of four from Afghanistan is arriving in, you know, usually we have about two weeks. And then we have to quickly spring into action.
0: And what exactly does springing into action mean for Iris? The staff
1: springs into action, they have to quickly find an apartment. Often they have to negotiate with, with a landlord. The landlord you know, mm-hmm. is going to pick up the phone and say, yeah, how can I help you? Well, we're interested in that four bedroom apartment on Orange Street. And they'll say, for who? And we'll say, well, for refugees. And the landlord will say, what? Refugees? What's a refugee? I mean, I was watching the news and a guy running for president said the re- refugees are terrorists. And you've got to explain, no, 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 no. Refugees are people who've suffered persecution. They've been vetted by the Department of Homeland Security. They've gone through CIA, FBI, all sorts of screening processes. It's taken them two years to get through this vetting process. Don't worry. They will be great tenants. So the landlord says, "Okay, I'll rent it to you. And we rent the apartment. We've got to, if the kids are little, check it for lead paint. We've got to furnish it with donated furniture. Uh, We'll bring in a team of volunteers, maybe Yale students who are not afraid of hard work, to scrub the floors and clean up the kitchen and the bathroom, carry the heavy furniture up two flights of stairs, get everything all set up, hang the curtains, make the beds, age-appropriate toys on the beds of the children, We find someone in the neighborhood who can cook a culturally appropriate hot meal to serve this family within two hours of their arrival. Um, You'll be interested to know that that is a federal government requirement. Mm -hmm. And we get all this ready, the family arrives, we meet them at the airport or we meet them at a terminal in New Haven. We take them to their apartment, we get them settled, they eat that culturally appropriate hot meal. Um, of course, if it's cold, if it's happening in the winter, we bundle them up with hats and scarves and gloves, also donated. We try not to buy anything new. We can avoid it. And we do get great donations. Mm. Um, the family has a good night's sleep. The next day, we bring them into the office. We sit them down, and we say, okay, here's the deal. We're going to enroll your kids in school. Or we're going to connect you to health care because we know you've got some health issues. Um, We're going to help you learn English, and we're going to help you find a job. And if you had to leave some family members behind, we're going to introduce you to the attorney in our legal department. They're going to try to reunite your family. And we've got to do all this as quickly as we can, because the U.S. government does not give us that much money. Mm. And um, before you know it, it's amazing.
0: Definitely. But coming to a new country cannot be easy for these individuals. What are some issues that may come along with the difficult process of fleeing your own country to go to a brand new place and culture?
1: Um, You know, refugees come with a range of health issues, um, mental health issues, as well as physical. Uh, Some people have been caught up in wars and have injuries from hostilities. Um, Almost every refugee has had some kind of a mental health experience. The trauma, uh, the anxiety, uh, the depression of uh, fleeing your home country, coming to a new country, wondering if you're ever going to learn the language, what kind of a job you're going to get. Oh, my gosh, everybody knew me in my old neighborhood and respected me. And I was, you know, uh, one of the, you know, best bakers in all of home Syria or something like that and they come here and they're lucky if they can get a job washing dishes at a restaurant. So it's tough being a refugee. And our job is to make it a little easier, to soften things a bit. I'll always remember what one refugee said to me. Um, I had a conversation with him about a year after he arrived and I said, you know, you know all the things that Iris did for you, but what's the most important thing that a refugee needs when they come to the United States? And he said, respect. And you know, if you think about it, that makes so much sense. Because refugees, they've been pushed around. They've been beaten. They have been herded into camps, treated like animals, uh, told where to go, what to do, what to eat what not to eat. Here are your rations for the week. No, you can only have one bag of rice, not two. No, you you can't leave the camp, you know. uh, And if you try to sneak out at night to get a job, you're arrested by the police. Come to the United States, and they want to have control over their lives. They want to be treated with respect. So we do that. and. We get them off to a good start, give them what they need to get off to that good start, and then they take it from there.
0: There are so many logistical and legal barriers that refugees and immigrants face in the United States. And it sounds like IRIS has a pretty good job of covering those bases. What are some examples of the culture shock that IRIS families and clients may have encountered in the past?
1: Um, A lot of women from conservative, uh, Muslim countries do not, are not comfortable shaking a man's hand in this country. Now, if, if most of the women from Afghanistan are not going to get jobs and not work and not, you know, be introduced to their factory manager, then, uh, that's not going to be a problem. They're not going to be in a position to shake hands. Um, but there are some men from uh, conservative countries, very strict Muslim men who do not like to shake the hand of a woman. Now imagine, um, I'm an Afghan man from Kabul. I'm very, very religious, um, and I, and uh, you've hired me. You're my boss. I'm at the factory for the first day. Uh, I am introduced to you you extend your hand to shake mine go ahead extend it and i pull mine in like this i say no so your hand is sort of left dangling there and you know in our culture it's a it's it's a sign of disrespect to refuse to su- shake somebody's hand so you know we have to go over this with people um you know what i do is i break it down into three parts i say when you meet somebody uh you make eye contact you smile and you shake their hand now if you're not going to do three out of three at least do two out of three and do those two really well eye contact (laughs) (laughs) smile and before they extend that hand and it's left dangling there in space You quickly put your hand, you quickly put your hand up here, you know, instead of, you know, going like this, you go like this, which in some ways is a much more respectful gesture, isn't it? Yeah. like, oh my gosh, this guy's treating me like royalty, you know? (laughs) You've got to do it quickly. So, you know, smile, you know, (laughs) eye contact, hand up there. I hope I'm, uh, you you see that I'm wearing shorts? I hope not. (laughs) i put on my i put on my zoom shirt for the occasion but i didn't but i didn't put on the full outfit
0: <laughs> that's great yeah i i would imagine that's definitely like a hard situation to navigate, especially if you don't have like the language yet to describe like your beliefs um yes yep, yeah
1: exactly so you know we 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 go we go over these things as well um it, it volunteers can be very helpful uh, when it comes to the sort of nuts and bolts of American culture. Um, you know, there are all kinds of things that refugees, you know, are curious about. And my case managers don't have time to go over all that. Uh, you know, they, I'll always remember uh, uh, some Syrian refugees were complaining to me. They said, Chris, I can't believe you put us in an apartment with rats jumping on the roof, onto the trees. And I said, rats? and I realized they're talking about the squirrels. Uh, <laughs> so, you know the difference between a rat and a squirrel. Well, you know maybe there isn't a big difference, but uh, uh, they're not rats. Um, and uh, you know why are so many people running in this country? What are they running from? You know, are there? And you know you got to explain. Oh, they're running for exercise, and you know. And uh, men and women making out in downtown New Haven in public. I mean, oh, my gosh. (laughs) Um, And, you know, I go into a bathroom and I'm assaulted by all of these posters telling me to wash my hands. And like Americans are the cleanest people in the world. But then I visit someone in their home and they have dogs in (laughs) their home. And I even heard that sometimes the dogs sleep with them on their bed. How disgusting is that? <laughs> so, you know, there are these, these issues that come up. And, and, and volunteers are terrific at, you know, becoming friends and explaining these, you know, these nuances and idiosyncrasies of American society. And
0: After Chris told me about the people that Ira serves, he gave me a bit of background on the nonprofit.
1: I started in 2005 iris was called interfaith refugee ministry but one of my um uh goals in in um, uh, working at iris and in fact the board of directors actually suggested that we become a more inclusive organization we change our name to one that reflects uh, an openness to all kinds of people who want to help resettle refugees, and not just those who are affiliated with the church or who come from a spiritual perspective, but really anyone. and And we began to emphasize uh, after after I came on in 2005, we began to emphasize uh, that this was really an American tradition, and and not you know something that uh, uh, should be monopolized by uh, uh, Christian religion or or faith-based groups in general, but it should uh, be um, stressed that this is a, a very american a noble historic American tradition. So uh, literally, I took down you know uh, religious symbols in the office when I started in two thousand and five uh, and put up uh, secular ones. Um, uh, the Statue of Liberty, uh, a, a, a beautiful poster of Albert Einstein, uh, produced by the United Nations. Einstein was a refugee. In fact, he's he's our poster child. He's the most, maybe the most famous American refugee.
0: What was the New Haven community's response to Iris at the time when you were starting there?
1: Very few people knew about um, Interfaith Refugee Ministry which struck me as very strange. I mean, here is an organization, a nonprofit group that welcomes persecuted people from all over the world and helps them start new lives. Why don't more people know about this? I mean, this this is maybe our best foreign policy and it's happening in our own backyard. But you know, I would meet person after person, including well-connected people who had never heard of this sleepy little organization called Interfaith Refugee Ministry um, in Worcester Square that was doing this incredible work. So we wanted to change that too. We started getting the word out.
0: Chris began welcoming more volunteers, speaking to the press, Broadcasting Iris's work to the city and increasing their outreach and events.
1: You know, our attitude was hey, if this is one of the best things our country does, then we should be celebrating it every chance we get. And we should be swinging open our doors and inviting people in, like volunteers from Yale, inviting people in so that they can work with us. I mean, welcoming persecuted people from all over the world and helping them start new lives is too important to be done by a small group of professional staff. Mm -hmm. Every American should have an opportunity to take part in this incredible tradition. We have become larger, uh, partly in the process of reaching out and building up support getting the community to know about us and support us, it's allowed us to grow. And when we grow, we can resettle more refugees. We can help more people. Um, so we've gone from helping about 100 and ref- 150 refugees, new arrivals one year, uh, soon after I arrived, to welcoming 500. So we went from 150 to 530 refugees. That was our high point in 2016. Uh, And then you know what happened after that, and then everything has dropped off. Um, So we have grown in size. Um, We've we've increased uh, the private support. The the typical refugee agency in the United States depends about 90% on government funding. Big grants from the State Department, or from the Department of Health and Human Services, um, to cover their expenses, to hire their staff, to pay their rent, to help refugees. Uh, And that's the way we were in 2005. 90, 95% government funded. Well, what happens if the government changes? (laughs) Those funds drop off. What do you have to do? You have to lay off staff. You have to Mm. shut down. Well, we weren't going to do that. So we went out to raise private funds. We went out to get grants from private foundations, to do fundraisers, to ask individuals to support us. And our budget is now about 60% private funded and only 40% government. Wow. That's the way it should be. And you know, There are so many advantages to that. For example, when the COVID crisis hit, when the pandemic hit, and suddenly people were out of jobs, out of food, couldn't pay their rent, they looked to us for help. But because we had unrestricted private funding, we were able to say, fine, we're going to set up an emergency COVID-19 response program right away. And we were able to help people stay in their apartments, triple the size of our food pantry, get you health know, uh, healthcare supplies out to people. Um, and then later, we did get grants. But in an emergency, you can't wait around and write a proposal and wait for a foundation to give you money. You need to be nimble. You need to be agile.
0: That makes a lot of sense. And I know the organization's history of quick thinking has prepared you well for these difficult times. What other transformations has Iris gone through that makes it such a well-known name in Connecticut and even around the U.S.?
1: A change that we've made that has attracted a lot of national attention from, from other refugee agencies across the country is a model for resettling refugees uh, that is actually very old, but we have revived it and and uh, and organized it better. It's called uh, community Co-sponsorship. What we do is we train a community group of volunteers. So let's say you live in Brantford or you know Fairfield, and you have a bunch of friends, some of them go to a church or a synagogue. you know some people who go to the mosque, you've got some friends who are part of the Rotary Club, go to Fairfield University. You pull this big community group together and you say, we want to welcome a refugee family to Fairfield and you knock on our door and we say wow that's great we're going to train you you have to fill out this application you're going to have to raise some money but when you're all trained and ready to go we will place a refugee family with your group in your community and that model has allowed us to resettle more than 300 refugees in more than 50 communities all around the state of Connecticut. So the map of Connecticut is now dotted with refugee committees that have welcomed refugees. The best way to protect refugee resettlement from a new administration that might want to dismantle it or shut it down is to build grassroots community support public support for refugee resettlement.
0: With their community co-sponsorship model, Iris is not only making waves in Connecticut, but throughout the nation. And if you want to get involved with an organization like Iris, Chris told me exactly how.
1: Best way to learn about refugee resettlement, refugees, is to work with them. Simple as that. So jump on our website, uh, look at the volunteer opportunities, sign up to be a volunteer. Uh, You might even want to be super ambitious and form a group of volunteers. Now, I know students are a little transient, and you might want to attach yourself to a more stable group of people. So transient students attach themselves to a stable group of people in New Haven and form a community sponsorship group.
0: I guess, like, kind of a fun question for you to think about, but... Fun! (laughs) Yeah, I know Iris does a huge range of work, um, and they touch a lot of lives, but I guess if you had to describe the work that Iris does in three words, what would they be?
1: Three words. Um, Changing everyone's live.
0: This has been Elm City Speaks, a Dwight Hall podcast. Thank you so much for listening, and we will catch you next time.
1: Mm .